and the many things that you do in our lives. If you have your Bibles, you'll want to turn to Proverbs. We'll be looking at a few of them. We'll start in Proverbs 23, verse 22. Let's ask God to guide our time. Father God, on this Father's Day, we acknowledge that you are the only perfect Father, the model of all fathers and grandfathers and father figures. And Father, we are grateful that this church has so many godly fathers and grandfathers, father figures. And may you empower us to take the next step to be even more godly, better models, more mature in Christ. And today as we talk about mentoring and we talk about being a wise figure for the generations younger than us, speak to our hearts, ignite a desire within us to model well for those younger. God, thank you for these fathers. Bless them, we ask. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Probably like many of you, I wear a number of hats. One hat I wear is I'm the husband of Betty Ann. That's an outstanding hat. I win. Another hat I wear is I'm staff here at Highland. You may be surprised to know, but there are a large number of pastors who would not choose to attend the church they pastor. That is not the case for me. I would choose to attend Highland. I love the co-workers I work with. I admire the lay leaders who lead so well. I'm blessed by you all who come. I'm encouraged. I love the hat of being on staff at Highland. And for a trifecta, the third hat is that of being a father, a grandfather, a mentor figure in the lives of others. Three hats, three very good hats. As I think about being a father, a grandfather, and a mentor figure, there are ten principles that I want to live by. I've got a long way to go in order to have them down pat in my life, but these are 10 principles that I want to live with as a father, a grandfather, a mentor figure. The first is this. I need to be in God's word, in prayer, and in love with God if I want to impact the next generation. The truth is I cannot pass on to the next generation that which I do not own. If I don't love God, if I don't serve God, if I don't learn about God, if I don't pray to God, how do I hope to pass that on to the next generation? So this is imperative in my life and in yours. The second is that we need to be in church. You may not realize, but the truth is, we are always role models. People are always watching us. 
And the Bible is very clear about church attendance. There are 60 one another passages. Spur one another on in love and good deeds. Encourage one another until the day of the Lord. There's 60 of them, and they all assume that we are together. Every epistle in the New Testament is written to a local church. Hebrews 10, 25 says, Do not forsake the assembly of the saints as some are in the habit of doing, but all the more so encourage one another as the day approaches. The more we skip church, the more we find other things to do rather than being in church, take it to the bank, the next generation will multiply that. They will. So we are a role model for the next generation. Third, I need to model forgiveness and grace. If all I'm ever doing is complaining about the government, complaining about politics, complaining about church, complaining about the long length and boringness of sermons, if that's all I'm ever doing, I'm not teaching grace and forgiveness. And the truth is, that critical nature that I have will be passed on and multiplied in the next generation. Fourth, I've got to make wise life choices. If I abuse substances, if I abuse alcohol, if I make poor moral choices, if I am cutting corners ethically, I am modeling that for my kids. I am modeling that for my grandkids. And I am giving them license to make those same choices, except they'll multiply it again. I'm always a role model. So are you. Fifth, I want to teach delayed gratification. That we don't buy now and pay later. That's what they're seeing all around us. That's what they're seeing through our nation. That it doesn't matter if you have the money. Just buy on credit and then somehow you'll hope to pay it off or not. We need to teach delayed gratification. Not only financially, but morally, ethically. We want to pass that on to the next generation. Six, this only applies to some. But if you're a helicopter parent, if you're always hovering over, if you don't allow your kids a little leash, they're going to make the mistakes when they're 20. We want our children to make mistakes when they're still at home and we can help them pick up the pieces. If we are parenting so that we're not embarrassed, those mistakes are going to happen but at age 20, it's much more painful. The repercussions are much more powerful than if we allow them to make the mistake at 10 and 12 and 14. Helicopter parenting actually backfires. Seventh, we want to minimize house rules to the biggies. In the fall, I'm going to preach the Ten Commandments. I wonder how many of us, right off the top of our head, can name all 10. I bet some of you can. But a lot of us are going to get stopped at 7 or 8 or 9. And yet we expect our kids to memorize 354 house rules. And we don't get 10 of them. Stick with the biggies. God, morality, ethics, family, education. Stick with the biggies. Let the other things slide.
eight, parent, grandparent, mentor for the finished product. We're aiming for cage 25 when the front cortex of the brain is fully developed. If we are parenting so that we're not embarrassed or out of anger or because we've been inconvenienced, we're not parenting well. We want to parent for personality development, character development, which really has nothing to do with me being ticked off or annoyed or inconvenienced. Parent for the final product. Nine, no is often a very good answer. There's nothing wrong with no. If it crosses one of those five, God, morality, ethics, family, or education, no not only is a good answer, it's the only godly answer. And 10, I think there's a false dichotomy. We're either a parent or a friend. I want both, but I know the order. I'm a parent first. I'm a grandparent first. But you better believe I want to be a friend. Why would I say it's one or the other? Why would you say it's one or the other? It's both and, but know the order. We parent, grandparent first. We are friend second. I look out and I see some incredible dads, granddads, dad figures. You have done these 10 so well. I hope to follow in your steps and incorporate these 10 and others into my life more and more this year and next year and the year after. As I thought about what I wanted to preach today, I thought about several Proverbs. I'm going to start with Proverbs 23, verse 22. Listen to your father who gave you life. Do not despise your mother when she is old. Tragically, you and I live in a day and age where sometimes we actually even see in the news that older people are out of touch, that they don't know what's going on, that we ought to listen to the younger and ignore the older. Nothing is further from the truth in the pages of Scripture. Scripture tells us that knowledge is an equal opportunity. We can all get it at different ages. But real wisdom comes through age. Sage wisdom comes through years. And if we want to be wise in life, we're always looking to the next generation, the generation ahead of us, learning from them, being mentored by them, taking the same godly steps that they have taken. If I'm not wiser in my 50s than I was in my 40s, I've been sinning. Count five years back. If you're not wiser today than you were five years ago, you have been sinning. You've been wasting your life. You have. So have I. If we're not wiser today than yesterday, then we're wasting our lives. God is giving us years to build wisdom, to apply knowledge in the right way at the right time, to impact the world, to impact the next generations for his glory. The foolish undercurrent of our society 
that younger is better, that younger is wiser, that younger knows what's happening, and those who are older do not, is stupid. It's just foolishness. Don't allow yourself to believe that. It's not true. Listen to Proverbs 23, 22 again. Listen to your father who gave you life. Do not despise your mother when she is old. Proverbs 1, 7 to 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. They are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. The Bible actually calls us fools. I use the word stupid. It's kinder. It calls us fools. If we do not listen and learn from those who are ahead of us in years, we want to be mentored. Again, if all I'm doing with my age is hitting a white ball around the golf course, and if you see me golf, I get my money's worth, lots of swings. If all I'm doing when I go to the gym is building these guns, they don't just happen, by the way. If all I'm doing is reading books, if that's all I'm doing with my life, and I'm not mentoring the next generation, then I am failing at what God has called me to do. But I look out and I see so many that are utilizing your lives in wise and godly ways. Well done, women and men, grandparents and parents, mentoring the next generation, individuals mentoring children that are not your own. That's what we're called to do. Well done. May we take the next step in those areas. Listen to your father who gave you life. Do not despise your mother when she is old. Think of Proverbs 1 to 9. What are the first nine Proverbs all about? After chapter 9, there are all a bunch of verses. They don't seem to flow. But the first nine chapters are what? It's a father building into a son. Probably David and Solomon building in David into Solomon and Solomon perhaps into Rehoboam. It's, it's parents building into the next generation. That's what Proverbs 1 to 9 is all about. Younger person, you will stunt your growth in wisdom. If you're not watching your parents, your grandparents, or if you don't have godly examples at home, you will stunt your growth in wisdom. If you're not attaching yourself to somebody who is older, walking with the Lord, who is allowing you, teaching you, modeling for you how to live the Christian life. And if you need a mentor, be bold. Go up to somebody and ask them. You've been watching them. You've been seeing them. Now tell them, hey, would you... Would you invest in me? It's risky. What's the worst they can say? No. Oh, I guess the worst is what's your name? But besides that, <laughs> they might very well say yes. And they might build into your life. I think of the mentors in my life. 
I think of my mom and dad. Dad will be 87 on July 4th. He's an Independence Day baby. Mom allows me to tell you that she's 83 now. But if she comes here, you tell her I said 63. She'd like that better. They built into my life. They taught me to go to church. They, they taught me the gospel. I prayed to receive Christ with my mom. Before I was 10 years old, my dad taught all of his kids to set the first fruits of our income aside to give to the church. He taught us that not knowing that all of us would end up in Christian ministry. He just modeled that before us. I remember the two pastors in the church that I grew up in and their wives, Chuck and Mark and Ann and Lou, and they taught us what it meant to be faithful in ministry, how to love missions and to love people and to invest in people. I remember going off to college and, and I majored in, in business and history and I minored in Bible and Greek and my, my professor of Bible and Greek, I actually lived in the basement of his home for a couple years with seven other kids, seven other teens. And, and we learned and, and saw this family, this young family growing in Christ and they modeled what it meant to live a Christian walk. And I don't remember anything he taught me, but I remember he taught me to study God's word diligently and not to take shortcuts. And then when I went to graduate school, I actually went to Trinity when it had the best faculty that has ever been assembled in a seminary on American soil. It's not true today, but it was then. And I had professors like Wayne Grudem and D.A. Carson and Doug Moo and Scott McKnight, and I could go on and on. They're all exceptionally published individuals. But they also built into our lives. And then I went off to pastor in Texas and begin doctoral studies in Texas. And, and I remember in, in the church that I pastored, if you could call it a church, we only needed like that empty front row. And, and there were three men. One was in his 80s, one in the 70s, and one in the 60s. And they took this young guy who didn't know anything and made all sorts of mistakes and and rather than beat me up, they came alongside me and they gently encouraged me and they nurtured me and, and they helped me to, to become a little bit better in a profession they had never done before, pastoring. And I had mentors in the church in Pennsylvania and, and I have some mentors here. In fact, I'm tempted, but I'm going to resist the temptation. I can name some names here today of individuals I've watched your lives, I've learned from you, but I know if I name names, I'm going to forget names, and I'm going to regret that, so I won't. But we're always looking for individuals who are more mature or older than us in the faith, who have walked the walk a little bit longer than us, and we're asking them to build in our lives, and we're modeling our lives after them as they model after Christ. So the first principle of two that I want to walk away with today is that all of us are models, mentors for the next generation. And we need to get in the game and mentor those who are younger. And if you need a mentor, be bold. Go ask somebody. Ask them if they would live the Christian life in front of you, helping you to take the next step in your walk with Jesus. 
The second thing I want to walk away with is this. We are called to honor those who are in front of us, particularly parents, but I think it goes beyond that. Honor is a biblical word. It's all over Scripture. Part of the Ten Commandments, honor thy father and mother. Paul puts it this way, essentially restating the fifth commandment in Ephesians 6, 2, and 3. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. God says that four times in Scripture, before a day was born, he had ordained how many days that we live. And yet he also tells us in Scripture that if we honor our father and mother, he will extend those days. I don't know how that works. I don't understand the sovereignty of God. I just believe it. And God says that if we honor the next generation, particularly parents, he will extend our earthly life. This word honor is really interesting, actually. In the New Testament, it's tima. In the Old Testament, it's kabad. It really, in both cases, is a military term. I want us to think for a moment. We're all in the army. We're privates, first class, of course. So we're private first class, and suddenly a two-star walks into the room. A two-star general, what are you going to do? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit and watch her or him. I'm not going to stand up unless I know they're worthy of honor. I'm not going to salute until I am certain that they are worthy of honor. I'm not going to listen to them unless I know they're worthy of it. And I'm going to be in the brig. Who's joining me? <laughs> of course I'm going to snap to attention. I'm going to salute. I'm going to listen. Because it's not about the person. It's about the position. This is a military word. God's not telling you to honor the person. He's actually telling you to honor the position of father and mother. Honor the position of those who are older than one. Now, I suspect you could push back today and you could say, well, that's easy, but you just said you had pretty good parents. That's not my story. So it's easy for you to honor. It's not easy for me. And you would probably be right. It's probably easier for me to honor than for some of you. But again, I think it helps to remember that we're not honoring necessarily the way someone has lived. We're honoring the position that God has placed them in our lives. And by honoring that position, we honor God himself. You might push back a little more. And you might say, well, you don't realize my parents are abusive. And if you're at home and there really truly is real abuse, then that ought to be reported. If you're out of the home and there's real abuse, then you don't have to sign up to always be in the presence of more abuse. But that doesn't remove us from the command to honor. We just now have to be very wise. We meet with somebody in a very public place where we can exit quickly and where physical or verbal abuse, if it begins to happen, will be stopped or you can get out of the way. 
clearly you don't put yourself in harm's way. You don't put your family in harm's way, but there are still ways to honor. You can send an email update of the family. That's safe. But for those of us who have family that is worthy of honor, easier to honor, that means spending time. It means making the calls. It means sharing the holidays. It means doing life together. And God says when we honor those he has placed in authority in our lives, especially mom and dad, he will actually extend our lives. What does it mean if you're a dad, a granddad, a a mentor figure? How do we make ourselves worthy of honor so it's easy to honor us? Again, I look out. I see some amazing dads, granddads, surrogate dads, well done. But how do we make it easy to be honored? We live lives of integrity. We don't do shortcuts. We don't get to the movie line and say that Junior is under a certain age when he's not in order to get a better price. We don't do those things because we're teaching that we're dishonorable not honorable. We live lives of integrity. We regularly tell our kids we love them. When they're young, when they're older, when they're teenagers and they're going to grunt back, we tell them when they're older. We show them, we listen to them, we spend time with them, and we live life before them. One person I know said, my dad never taught me how to live in words. He just lived in front of me And I learned. That's pretty good. It's not great. We want to teach with action and words. I want to close today with a study that was made by Dr. Paul Vitz. He was a psychologist, a professor in the New York University. If you know anything about Dr. Paul Vitz, he had a 40-year study of well-known atheists throughout the world and their upbringing. And he believes that there is a strong correlation between those who reject a heavenly father and the rejection some received from an earthly father. Certainly not a one-to-one. There's lots of exceptions. But he makes a remarkable case. He talks about Sigmund Freud who rejected God and said that his own earthly father was a pervert. He talks about the English philosopher Hobbes, whose father was an Anglican pastor who couldn't control his anger and got into fistfights and eventually left the ministry. He talked about individuals like Ludwig Feuerbach, the German philosopher who wrote a scathing book about Christianity And yet he had a very abusive father who took up with living with another woman, not his mother, the town over. He talked about Voltaire, the French Enlightenment philosopher, who again had a terrible father. He goes down the line. He talks about Hitler, Adolf Hitler, the butcher. His father, who died at age 14 for Adolf, used to beat his mother and Adolf and the family dog. He talked about Stalin, the butcher in in Russia, 
who was also beaten mercilessly by his dad. And he believes that he has made a historical correlation over 40 years of study of what happens when a child is raised with a father that is abusive and the difficulty of then embracing a loving father in heaven. The stakes are high. They're high. And some of you have suffered like that, and my heart goes out to you. And you have overcome. Well done. But for those of us who have roles in the lives of others as fathers and grandfathers and mentors, the stakes are high. Because how a young child first envisions the Heavenly Father has a strong correlation to how they envision us. The stakes are high. Many of you have been incredible fathers and grandfathers and father figures. Well done. Enjoy today a day that celebrates you and how you're living your life. And may all of us take the next step, looking for mentors, being mentors, and helping the next generation become all that God desires them to be. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we're thankful for incredible figures of fatherhood that attend Highland, that impact children and grandchildren, children not of blood. We're thankful for teachers that impact students. We're thankful for mentors in so many areas of life that build in to those that are younger. May we do this well, empower us by your Spirit to do it better today than yesterday and better tomorrow than today. And may people see what a loving Father is like as they see imperfect but striving examples here on earth. And bless the many wonderful fathers and grandfathers and father figures who are with us today. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.